If you have your Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this morning. That's where we are going to be spending our time together today, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, as we wind down our series called Unconventional Wisdom, where we've been going through um, the book of Ecclesiastes. We were in chapter 12 last week. Now we jump back to chapter 3 this morning. Our title for the message this morning is, It's About Time. Some of you may be saying that about this series. I know that these messages have been a little bit heavy at times as we go through this book. You might be, if you aren't saying it about the series, you might be saying it by the time we get done this morning. Um, but I think that's something that we all have said at some point or have heard it said to us at some point or another. It's about time. Some phrases pack more punch um, in a few words than others do, and it's about time is one of those because Yes, there's the plain meaning of it that it's about time that something has happened or something was said or that someone has understood something. It's a recognition of that, but it also communicates a lot more than that in our tone or our body language. Um, It carries with it a question of maybe, what took you so long, right? It comes with something like that, or it also comes with maybe a, a little bit of a pronouncement of judgment, maybe. It shouldn't have taken you so long, or... Maybe on the more gracious side of that, it comes with, I wish it hadn't taken you so long. It's about time. We've all said it. We've all heard it. And this morning, it's also true of our passage. It's about time. That's what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is all about. It's a poem or a song about time, which places it in good company with a lot of other songs that have been written about time. The concept of time is one of those things that is universally experienced, but it's also hard for us to really pin down. And so philosophers, poets, songwriters have all tried to catch just a glimpse of it over the years. And you may know some of the songs that came to my mind when I think about time. If you're lost, you can look and you will find me. Anybody know? Time after time, right? If I could turn back time or another one, Why she had to go, I don't know, she wouldn't say. I said something wrong, now I long for yesterday. Another one about time. Time by Pink Floyd. Um, There's Does Anybody Really Know What Time It Is by Chicago. I'm sitting on the dock of the bay watching the tide roll away. I'm just sitting on the dock of the bay wasting time. Otis Redding, so many songs about time. You may have more running through your head this morning, but our time will run out if we keep doing that. And so we'll just turn our attention to our text for this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I said, maybe throwing you off a little bit because we were in chapter 12 last week um, with what the author called the end or the conclusion of the matter, but we're back in chapter 3 this morning. And so let's read our text together, and then we'll walk through it a little bit at a time. Starting in chapter 1, for everything... There is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace 
and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it or taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we pray that you would help us by your Spirit as we look at your Word, Lord, that you would illuminate it, that we would see, and that you would that it would be a light to our path, Lord, as we walk, Lord, that you would help us to understand and to to trust what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, gave you some songs earlier, but in my mind, it's always a good time to sing. That's why I enjoy singing, I enjoy musicals, all of those sorts of things. And so as we go through the message this morning, I've actually got a few more songs for us, really three more in particular. As we look at our text and as we kind of unpack it this morning, there are three sections that we're going to look at. In each of those, I have a song that corresponds to it that came to my mind as I walked through the passage as I prepared and studied for this morning. And you may have a different song that comes to your mind. If you do, you can share those with me afterwards. But The first one, most of you probably know, or if you know the song, then you probably guess what song came to mind with those first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the song Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. It's a song that acknowledges the many seasons of life, ending where verse 8 ends with a time for peace and this added expression of hope, I swear it's not too late. That song, like these first eight verses of chapter three, point us to the reality of our lives. The reality, the seasons of life are constantly changing. After all, verse one says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. It says that, but I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like there isn't time for anything. We rush from one place to the next, from one week to the next, even from one season to the next. Summer just officially started this past week, but if we were to take a poll this morning, my guess is there are probably some of you who would say, I'm ready for fall. I've had enough heat. I've had enough summer. We're rushing from one thing to the next in a hurry, and so it doesn't always feel like there's a time and season for every matter under heaven. I think in large part that is owed to our resistance to accepting this reality that the seasons of life are constantly changing. It's because we don't mind change in theory. We especially don't mind change when it involves other people doing better or getting better. We don't always enjoy change quite as much, though, when it's our turn to change or to experience something that's different from what we planned or what we expected because we're comfortable in what we know and what's familiar to us. So that's where we try 
to stay holding so tightly to what has been that what's to come is met with fear or anxiety instead of anticipation. But that fear doesn't change the reality. The seasons of life are constantly changing, and we don't control what comes next. We don't choose the way the seasons come and the seasons go. Just look at the poetry of verses 2 through 8 there in our passage. There isn't much there that we can argue with. We know the author is right. These are the seasons of our life, each line setting forth a whole spectrum of experience, really. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time for everything that comes in between. There's a time to plant, a time to harvest. There's a time for all the work that comes in between that, the care and pruning and cultivation and irrigation that comes with growing a crop. There's a time to kill or to let something die. There's a time to heal and for everything in between. He goes on, time to break things down, time to build them up. Each of these lines tell a story with which we are familiar. We know seasons of weeping and mourning that don't end as if someone has just hit a switch and turned them off like a faucet, but they're more like the changing experiences we seasons we experience every year as we go from maybe from winter to spring where it's warmer one week and then it's back to cold the next week back and forth until finally we are into spring and then into a new season altogether. That's how our lives go. We often, though, would prefer to skip, to skip past those more painful and negative seasons the author describes here. But we know that wishing them away doesn't take them away, that the only way out of the seasons of our lives is through the seasons that come into our lives. And that doesn't mean that we have to be happy about all of them equally. Many of us have tried that. We know the weight of that. Many of us put that burden on others, telling them in their moment of pain or suffering or loss that they don't need to be sad or they shouldn't be sad because it could be worse or others have it worse or that it'll all be worth it in the end. All of those things might be true and valid, but That doesn't make someone's grief or pain invalid. The seasons that we're going through are constantly changing. There is a time to weep or to mourn. There's a time to laugh. But those seasons, they don't come and go on our schedules all the time. If you don't believe me this morning when I say that the times are always changing, then look at verse 5. It talks about there a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. That one, as I read it, doesn't make didn't make a lot of sense to me, but as I studied a little further, one of the commentaries I read suggested that this was a common part of ancient experience, actually a part of waging war in an agriculturally driven world. And that is you would go to your enemy and you would scatter, fe- scatter stones in the fields of your enemy to make it harder for them to cultivate crops and to grow the food and other things they needed to grow. And when the same thing would happen to you, well, then you had no choice but to meticulously go and gather those stones up so that you could use that land once again. Time for casting away stones, a time to gather stones together. Not something we necessarily experience now, but something that was experienced then. There's a time to embrace, the author says, and a time to refrain from embracing. Some of you all who are huggers need to learn that one. It's a time to keep silence, a time to speak, right? I know that's rich coming from the guy up here with the microphone preaching to you. There are times for seeking and times for losing, times for keeping and casting away, tearing and sowing. But we don't like 
change. And so it's easy for us to get stuck in any of those seasons. Just think about seeking and losing. This morning I would wonder, has anybody ever lost something and then become obsessed with finding it? Maybe something small, like a pen or a pencil or a cheap pair of sunglasses or a sock. Where do those things go? We don't know, but they disappear. And there's this rational side of us that says, I should just let it go. It's not a big deal. I'll find it or I won't find it. It doesn't matter. But then we spend minutes or maybe hours searching, trying to find it, but we won't let it go, even though we know the season is to just let that go, move on to something else. But it's easier said than done. The reality is the seasons of our life are constantly changing, and that's not always a good thing. About half the time, I would say, it's not a good thing. Because we see here this list the author lays out. These aren't endorsements of all of these times. Some of them are clearly to be preferred over others. As we look at the list, dying might be inevitable, but it's not something we're going to get excited about. The list of times reflects the reality of a world in which we live where sin stills joy and hope and life and peace, a world where there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Hate and war, neither of these are times that we seek after or that we long for, but as we look at the world in which we live, we know there will be times when others bring hatred and war to us. And if we're honest, we know there are times when we bring hatred and war to others. So this morning, I don't know what season of life you find yourself in. It could be one on this list, or it could be something else, because I don't think this list is intended to be exhaustive. I think it's intended to be expansive, to show us the seasons of life that are constantly changing and that our experience in this life will be varied and it will come and go and change, and so much of it is out of our control, dependent on any number of other factors and billions of other people around us. We don't control the seasons of our lives any more than we control the weather. And we don't know how long each one will last. That's just the reality of our lives. The seasons turn, turn, turn. And I don't know this morning if that's encouraging to you or discouraging to you. I guess it probably depends on what season you find yourself in. But The author of Ecclesiastes doesn't leave us there. He tells us the reality is the seasons of our life are constantly changing, but he goes on um, to show us something else. And so we look at verses 9 through 13. To my knowledge, nobody's turned these verses into a song, but still, that didn't stop me from trying to think of one that would fit them. This one goes back to the 1970s. Some of you may remember it. Some of you may not. It's a country gospel song called One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. Some of you may remember that one. Some of you may not. I said in the first service, I need to make a playlist of these. That would have been a good uh, uh, use of my time this week. Probably not. But back to our text. This section that we see here, verses 9 through 13, is reflecting on the reality of life's many seasons reiterating much of what we've heard elsewhere as we've worked our way through Ecclesiastes. This question, verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? What gain has the worker from his toil? It's a call back to chapter 1, reminding us that our lives are like a vapor or like a mist. 
here one day, gone the next, hard to pin down, a depressing thought to be certain on one level, but the author doesn't stop there. He continues his musing on all the times and seasons of life. He says in verse 10, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. And here begins this shift in focus, or at the very least, a broadening of the focus of this passage. Up until this point, the author has focused on the seasons of our lives, what happens under heaven in our existence. But here he begins the exploration of how what happens in our lives under heaven intersects with the one who is in heaven. And like the list in verses 1 through 8, it isn't maybe as clean and tidy as we might prefer. The author says it's seen all that God has given to humanity all that keeps us busy. He says, God's made everything beautiful in its time. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't term everything that I've gone through in my life, every season that I've walked through as beautiful necessarily. So we think of dying and killing and weeping and mourning and throwing rocks and hating and waging war, all those things in this list. There's a time for everything. We would say yes, but we might ask, is everything really beautiful? I would venture to guess that as you look back on the seasons in your life, maybe choices that we've made and consequences they've brought, other things that are completely out of our control, we would say beautiful isn't the word we would choose. But I think the author is saying here to us that while, yes, some things are out of our control, and yes, some things are worse than others. He's acknowledging that in each season of life, the appropriate response on our part might look a little bit differently. But say this, if it's always time in your mind for you to speak, that's going to be exhausting to all the people around you. If it's always time in your mind for you to fight, that's going to be exhausting, well, to the people around you, but also to you. If it's always time to laugh, then you're not always going to be responding in a way that is on target with what is appropriate for the moment. And as we look at this passage, some translators have even translated the word there that's translated as beautiful as appropriate. I think that is helpful for us as we look at this word this morning that everything is appropriate in its time, everything is beautiful or good in its time. What the author is pointing us toward there is a bigger picture, which he concedes is ultimately beyond our view. He says, God has put eternity into man's heart. So we all have a sense that there is more to this life than just this one moment we're in right now or any moment in our lives. We know there's something else. We know there's something bigger than us. But no matter how long we search or study, we can't piece together all the answers of what God has done from the beginning to the end of how it all fits together. And so what are we to do once we accept the changing seasons and acknowledge that there's more to this life? That's where the author begins to point us toward what he calls God's gift to man. Verses 12 and 13, he says, I perceived there's nothing better for them 
than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And so this passage begins with the reality of changing seasons, but then it moves to the gift, the ability to make the best of each season. The ability to make the best of each season. Let me explain what I mean by that, what I don't mean. The writer perceives there's nothing better than to be joyful and do good as long as you live. He has that eating, drinking, enjoying your work. This, he says, is God's gift to man. So what he's doing is this. He starts from this vantage point of the seasons of our lives. Then he zooms way out to show us that we are a part of something much bigger, pointing us toward the span of eternity. And now he zooms back in even closer than he was before to those ordinary, mundane details of everyday life, eating and drinking and working I think he would acknowledge, no, every season of our lives is not our favorite, but in every season there are the simple pleasures of our lives, God's good gifts to us in creation. Could be as simple as a cold glass of sweet tea on a hot summer afternoon, or the silent presence of a friend when everything seems to be falling apart, or the family member who takes your hand as you wait for the test results, or the satisfaction of a job well done, a good memory in a moment of despair, or a reassuring word from a friend when conflict is brewing. None of those are necessarily cures for all that ails you. They don't necessarily remove the sting of the season you're in, but they are a part of God's gift, the ability to make the best of each season, the ability to get from one moment to the next until A better season comes, maybe. Those moments of joy and pleasure that come with doing what's good and appropriate in the season you are in. And so when I talk about the ability to make the best of each season, I'm not saying that every season is good, and I'm not saying that pleasure is the ultimate goal of our lives either. Jesus would have something to say about that, as would the Apostle Paul. But what I'm suggesting is that some of us need to learn to accept the good gifts God has for us in difficult Seasons. We need to learn to receive the gifts God graciously gives to us instead of rushing past them and missing them all together. What I'm saying to you and to me is give yourself permission to find joy and pleasure in your day, even in difficult days. Who are we to reject the gift God has prepared for us? No matter how small or simple those reminders might be that He's at work in our lives and around us, even in ways we can't see. Those little signs that are pointing us to His goodness and His grace in a world where those things seem to be in short supply. James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So there's a lot that changes in our lives. The seasons change, we change, but God does not change. He is there for us, providing for us in every season, even when it's just a glimmer or a flicker of light that we see in the darkness. That is the gift of a good and gracious God, that we are able to make the best of each season, or maybe just to receive the good in each season, one day at a time. The reality and the gift. The passage closes in verses 14 and 15 with the reminder. You're not God. I know, 
high-level theology this morning. You are not God. Before I explain what I mean by that, though, this morning, I promised a song for each one, so you may know this one as well. Let me tell you a secret about a father's love, a secret that my daddy said was just between us. You see, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. Song by George Strait from the 90s, 90s country. Some of you may not be as familiar with that genre as I am, but not a song about time, but it is a song about love. And it's a song about a love that endures forever. And in verse 12 this morning, the author says he perceived that there's nothing better for us than to be joyful and do good while we live. That what we have is this moment we're in right now. Because we're not able to go back in time and change the past. And we can't jump ahead to the future, even though in our anxiety we might try to live there. What we have is how we respond to the season we're in right now, this moment, to trust God and to walk with Him. That's what we have to work with. And showing us that in verses 9 through 13, he's setting up a contrast for verses 14 and 15 where he shares something else he's perceived. He says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Whatever God does endures forever. It's complete, nothing to be added to it or taken away from it, and so God is worthy of our reverence and fear and praise and worship. And so while our lives are marked out and contained by time, God's is not. To him, it's as if this moment has already happened and tomorrow has already happened, but neither of those things are true in a way that prevents God from accessing them. He seeks what has been driven away, and so that which is out of our reach is not out of his reach or out of his mind, and that means that he is able to weave together all things, even those intended for evil, for our good, according to his purpose. So when I say the reminder of this passage is that you are not God, there are two sides to that. On the one side is this, what you and I do doesn't endure forever. And what we build, it won't last forever. There are limits to what we can accomplish. I've come to enjoy running, and I'm working on building up my endurance. But if I train for the next, I don't know, 20 years, I still wouldn't be able to run forever, right? My endurance would have a limit. That's true not just of running, but of anything that we try to do or that we work at. We don't have an endless supply of energy and power, and we don't have the ability to sustain whatever we accomplish forever. The truth is that it's unlikely that any of our names or the specifics of what we accomplish in this life will be remembered by people three or four generations from now. And that could be depressing if we want it to be this morning, but it also, I think, could be freeing to us this morning. And we remember that we're not the ones that are responsible for all of eternity. We're responsible for this moment, 
for this season in which God has placed us. And so I'm not saying you have no responsibility to anyone. I'm not saying that how you live your life doesn't matter. In fact, far from it. What I'm saying, though, is that you don't have to be God. You don't have to try to control everything. You don't have to be perfect. You're not the God of all eternity. And there's freedom in remembering that you were not created to carry that kind of weight. And so that is one side of remembering that you are not God. And there is then the other side of it. There's already one who is. And he's good. And he loves you. And he's faithful. And what he does and what he says and the love that he holds, they endure forever. It's a love that is without end. He is able and willing to bear the weight that you can't. And so just as there's freedom in remembering that you're not responsible for all of eternity, there's hope in remembering what God has already done. Because what he's already done in the past, he's able to do again. The God who created everything out of nothing, can do the same thing in your life. The God who rescued his people from slavery can free you from anyone or anything that holds you captive. The God who proved himself over and over again to be slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he maintains that same posture toward you. The God who raised Jesus from the dead can breathe new life into your soul raising you to walk in newness of life. No matter how dark the days are, no matter how long this season has been, God has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you, and he will not. And so remember, you are not God. Nobody expects you to be. Nobody needs you to be. We already have a God, and what he does endures forever. Psalm 136 reminds us it is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. It's a love without end. There's a time, there's a season for everything under heaven. Seasons change constantly throughout our lives, sometimes for better and sometimes for worse. But no matter what else changes in our lives, God's love does not, and neither does our need for him. This morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you never trusted him this morning, I would say to you that he opens his arms to receive you today, that you can come to him Because in our lives, as we go through this changing seasons, there's one thing that doesn't change. No matter what else it's time for in our lives, as we see that list, time to be born, a time to die, to plant, to pluck up, we go through the whole thing again. But you get it this morning. It's always a good time for us to say the words of the old hymn, I need thee every hour in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide or life is vain. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. No matter what you're going through, what you've been through, where you've been, how far away he feels, or how heavy the burden has gotten, remember that you are not God, but that God's arms are open wide to receive you 
to embrace you and to welcome you and to say with more sincerity and warmth and kindness and joy than you can imagine as you come to him. It's about time. Heavenly Father, this morning, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, a God who endures forever, a God whose love endures forever. And then in the midst of changing seasons, of good times and bad times, of easy times and hard times, of light and darkness and everything in between. God, we pray that you would help us to look to you and to receive from your hand the good gifts that you have to offer us, Lord. God, we pray that in our sin and in our brokenness that you would help us to receive the grace and forgiveness that you offer to us through Jesus. Lord, and then that as people who have received your Spirit, God, that we would walk in step with that Spirit, Lord. One day at a time, faithfully following you, walking with you in what you place before us, God. God, we pray that you would help us to have the wisdom to know the season we're in or to know when it's time to, or to weep or to laugh or to dance or to mourn or whatever it is that is before us, God, and to trust you and to walk with you through that season. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to respond this morning as your spirit leads us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.